1: LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new
2: job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile.
3: Hello, hello everybody and welcome back to the Forza Italian Football Podcast as ever. I am your host, Conor Clancy. I'm joined by the usual two, Kev Puglielski. Kev, you weren't doing too well the last time we spoke on the podcast. Welcome back. Hello. It's good to see you. How are you feeling?
4: Uh, not, not too bad. I'm the the first of the Forza squad, I think, to uh, get COVID. <laughs> I've had a yeah. posi- positive test, so my, my voice is a little bit um, wheezy at times, but uh, I think I'm through what was not exactly as bad as some people have had
3: could you tell us about your week because I mean a lot of people know that this is a virus a lot of people don't know anyone firsthand who had it so what's it been like obviously last week when we spoke you were severely sweaty and a little bit of a tickly cough
4: yeah so it's uh, it's been a bit strange actually so the, even the week before that when Atalanta were playing Michelin in the Champions League um, I had sort of a high temperature, but I'd, I'd had a relatively long weekend. I'd just gone on a, a very long, cold, wet bike ride the evening before. So I kind of brushed off as nothing else. And then uh, over the weekend, I had a sort of a tickly cough come again, kind of put it on as the after effects of that. And then just before we uh, podded, or about 12 hours before we podded last week, uh, my sense of smell and taste went, which prompted a, a very quick turnaround uh covid test that i then got uh the results for the following day and um it's all all the symptoms if you like have come before that that positive test i felt a bit rough through the week with the the coughing and again the temperature's still a bit off i'm sat here in a vest and it's november because your temperature still doesn't get settled and my, my smell still hasn't come back uh nearly a week on
3: it's one of those, obviously we spoke about it during the week a little bit of exchanging messages and that and you kind of said that it comes and goes a little bit so you, you think you're on the mend and then it gets a bit worse and then it gets better and then worse. Is that fair to right. say?
4: Yeah, I'm assuming I've had a, a relatively mild form um, and yeah, it's the, it's the temperature really is the noticeable thing that you've got quite regularly uh, and as I said, hopefully we won't I won't be muting too much but the more you, you talk, that sort of disruption you've had to the to your throat and to your, your breathing capacity um, comes and goes, but uh, yeah, it's, a, it's it is it's certainly different to you know the, the the average cold if you like that I think I've probably had over the years.
3: Right. Well, it is good to, to be able to speak to you on the pod again, obviously, and I'm sure our listeners will join me, and I'm sure Vito will join me in wishing you a speedy recovery and you get back to full fitness soon, Vito. It is good to speak to you again sorry for making you sit in silence there at the beginning but how are you keeping
1: look i'm fine um on the positive side uh, at least uh, here in australia more specifically in melbourne we're having a little bit more freedom more restrictions easing so i was able to see one of my cousins and a friend of ours during the weekend so i was really happy with that and hopefully as summer approaches we're able to catch up with more people and socialize a bit more but um, I'm grateful that at least in uh, Australia things are looking a bit more positive for us. But I do feel for Kev and everyone else in Europe going through that second wave. And you know, um, hearing Kev just what he's been discussing now. Um, you know, I don't want to wish it upon anyone, but uh, considering that Kev's been with FIF for seven or eight years and he's been doing the pod with us for the last two years, um, yeah, I'm just hopeful that he can get through this fine and uh, know that uh, Yeah, we can just uh, continue on in the best way possible.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I know we do have a lot of listeners down in Australia as well, actually. Quite a bit of our audience is from down that way. So enjoy it, guys. If, if the restrictions are lightening where you are, enjoy it sensibly. And hopefully you guys can continue to enjoy that little bit of freedom. I saw a bit of a conversation between you two. On Twitter before we came on air. Kev, you said something that was, I found quite striking to be honest. You responded to a tweet from Vito Doria saying that there aren't many years between you and Vito. Or did you mean between you and Antonio Candreva? Because it left me quite confused.
4: No, I, I meant our ages. I, I believe there's only about seven years between us. I think mean, Vito's now turned 32.
1: Yes, I'm 32. And,
4: uh, and and I'm still yet to, to turn 40. So, um, you know, you, uh, listeners out there can guess my age from that, I hope. Otherwise, they've got problems <laughs> counting goals like I had a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, you, you're starting to sound like David Brent now. You know, oh, we're two guys in our 30s. Oh, well, I'm 30. No, it's both in our 30s. It's quite nice, that. But, OK. Vito... I hope you won't mind me saying because it's kind of an insult on me as well, Kev. That Vito definitely looks the best for his age of the three of us.
4: Oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad you included you in that. <laughs> but 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 also after a night out with me in the UK, Vito will sort of support <laughs> that I still behave like a twenty year old.
1: Yeah, that I gotta <laughs> confess I to that, and uh, yeah, it was quite incredible that time that. Uh, Kevin and his friends showed me around Liverpool. Um, you know, he sure knows how to have a drink and a good time. So, yeah, I can't say it enough. Um, once this has all sort of dissipated and all that, and we're able to travel around the world more freely, I can't wait to catch up with all you guys in person and see more of Europe as well.
3: Yeah, well the plan, me and Kevin have been planning to get to Sardinia to meet Ben for an FIF weekend in Sardinia, so try and get your trip to Europe when we're doing that and it will be a lovely time on the island. But anyway guys, we've got some football to talk about this week. We're going to start where the action, I'm going to say finished, even though that is strictly speaking not the truth, because there is of course still one game to come tomorrow evening. If you're listening to us on Monday, that means this evening, um, obviously Verona play Benevento. I've just said Verona, but I don't know if that's correct. It is Verona against Benevento, isn't it? It is, and it's it's at the Stadio Marco Antonio Bentegodi. Anyway, the game that rounded out Sunday's action was, of course, the best derby in Serie A, the derby della Lanterna between Sampdoria and Genoa, otherwise known as the second of the FIF derbies, and it's nothing to do with me. Vito This is a game that Samp would have wanted to take all three points from. They didn't. What's the the general feeling? What's the general impression from a Sampdoria perspective to start?
1: Well, from my personal point of view, in a way it does feel like two points lost because we did have those chances to win the game and we were the ones dominating possession. But uh, uh, Genoa played... um, on the counter-attack, they were sitting deep most of the time and uh, the Blue Cercati weren't able to capitalise on their chances. Uh, there were two fine goals um, from both sides, but uh, the Jakub Jankter goal in particular, that was absolutely superb. Uh, I even tweeted that it was Arjen Robben-esque. It was that similar kind of style that he had. I'm not comparing him to Arjen Robben, but that's type of goal um, was the kind of goal that... the Dutch uh, champion would score. Then, just around the seventy-first minute, the young Danish winger Damsgaard he had a great chance to win the game after Katerbeul there forced Perrin into a save, which initially looked like a shot that had hit the post, but uh, he shot horribly wide. So, yeah, um, yeah, I think um, the Griffoni will probably be more impressed with this result than the especially considering that they haven't been getting much points since that uh, opening day win against Crotone.
3: Since we baked them up, basically, Kev, would you say that this is a case of Genoa kind of playing Sampdoria at their own game? Samp are a side who very much like, under the Ranieri, to, to hit teams on the break. They, they set up quite solidly and, and pounce. Genoa kind of did that today and Sampdoria didn't have many answers.
4: No, I I would agree with um, with Vito though that Samp were were, were much the better side. I think mean, Genoa got a goal, probably at the ideal time. It was only about five or six minutes after after Samp had taken the lead, and then they were able to sort of roll back into the, um, the sort of game plan that they'd set upon. Um, but but I think obviously Vito, you know, I, I I trolled him a little bit online because his 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 tweeting is obviously Samp. Samp focused and, uh, you know, the, the, the Aaron Robin comparison and things, but, uh, we got to remember that sample coming into this on a, on a really good run of form. So I think we, you couldn't expect anything else from, from Genoa really. And, uh, they will go home the, um, the, the happier this evening.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose you're quite happy that a certain Fabio Cagliarella didn't score.
4: Yeah, yeah, and he didn't look like scoring tonight. I was quite, I was quite surprised actually to see him get taken off because with the game still level, it's the sort of uh, sort of thing you you expect a a seasoned veteran to pop up a winner a little bit like what happened in a a game uh, that we'll get onto later.
3: I couldn't possibly know what you're talking about, but yeah, we will get onto that game later on. And uh, something that came across on the TV for what I think to be the first time that I've noticed it on television, it is something that I obviously brought to the public conscience back when Sampdoria played against Parma at the Tardini last season behind closed doors, which was Gaston Ramirez's famous Rick Flair style whooping. He was at it again, it was picked up by the the audio what's the word? It's a microphone I almost said the audio camera there for a moment, which is not a device, for by the microphones and it was quite nice, I saw Scott Monroe, formerly of FIF, tweeting about it, which was nice to see. Um, so that I guess in all, it is a missed opportunity for Sam Fito. They didn't win the last hour, but they've now lost one in their last two. Missed chance.
1: Yeah, certainly a missed chance. And uh, if Samp had got the victory, the Blue Cercati would be sitting in third position on the Serie A table. So. Um, That would have been rather bewildering to see. After a poor start and uh, considering that a lot of uh, Lucciarchati fans had very pessimistic uh, hopes or ambitions for the season, um, just the thought of being third would be a big shock to the system and really beyond expectations. Um, Even with the draw, I think where Samp are now is still... Better than what most Blucher Kiati fans would have been thinking before the ball was kicked to this season, and uh, it certainly surpassed my expectations because I really expected some to be at 1 1 and 5, to be honest. So, one win, five defeats, but uh, to have the three wins, two defeats, and the one draw is so far better than what I had prompted at this stage of the campaign.
3: Well, let's go to the top of the table now for our second game, which I think might have involved the team that Kev Puglielski was referring to, one of their players. Um, It's obviously Milan. They went through Udinese. They won 2-1 in Friuli. And uh, is it any surprise anymore, Kev, that Zlatan Ibrahimovic scored the decisive late goal for the Rossoneri?
4: Well, they're probably not surprising at all. I thought the whole game, it was quite... It was quite flat at, at times. I know that's that's sometimes the case with the early kickoff. Um, Milan's defense certainly. Hernandez didn't look in any real mood to to go forward. Calabria seemed a little bit pre, too preoccupied with having Delefeu, uh in front of him. I, I thought it was really good for the game that Kessie scored quite a quite a decent team goal to start with, just sort of twenty minutes in. But then it it kind of just fell back into the routine of. Udinese not really pushing forward and Milan looking a little lacklustre. Obviously, they played in the Europa League um, Thursday evening, but that was at home. So there was no sort of significant travel. But then the majority of the players um, probably played again. I know it was the exactly the same side other than um, Donnarumma coming back from the Roma game last weekend in the league but uh i yeah i don't know if that's that's the side that playing so regularly together are looking a little bit jaded and maybe need this uh this international break but uh they were lucky um in some respects to get the winner
3: okay, have you say there's no significant travel have you ever been to Udine?
4: well yes i have i've uh, i flew into i flew <laughs> See, into venice
3: you it's a nightmare to get there from anywhere in Italy.
4: Yeah, but they've not had to fly back from you know far <laughs> eastern Eastern Europe for the uh, for the Europa League. Um, they should be able to deal with what is, if I remember rightly, about two and a half, three hours on a train.
3: It, it's three hours on a train that feels like twenty four. I don't know what it is about going to Udine. It feels so much longer than it is.
4: On a good day, though, it's a beautiful little journey along the along the uh, side of the Alps.
3: Mm see we would have when i went there it was from a very different direction obviously from bologna up so i wouldn't have had the same scenery unfortunately until i changed somewhere in the north i think i might have changed in in venice i changed actually so there you go but not on the the actual nice island part of it so wasn't be. Anyway, Milan did get the win. Frank Kessie is someone I want to talk about, Vito, because for basically all of his Milan career until this year, he's been a little bit ridiculed, but he is a fabulously good midfielder. He has
1: uh, endured his fair share of criticism, and uh, certainly in this calendar year, he's really been able to turn his form around. Um, I think he really deserved that goal and uh, he is someone that, to put it bluntly, he does the so-called water-carrying role and uh, uh, that allows uh, more technical players to do something with the ball and create things uh, up front, but uh, Cassie still plays his part Um, he'll help out defensively, he'll cover ground and he's a strong man so he's not someone that should be bullied around. So I think uh, he adds his own characteristics and dynamicism to the team. So I think um, he could be one of uh, the Rossoneri's unsung heroes as the season progresses.
3: I love him. And I'm actually, I am so happy to see him succeeding because he's someone that I've always liked. And people often throw around lazy um, critiques of him that aren't necessarily true. He's, he's he's evolved quite a lot because when he came through with Atalanta, I remember him. He was he came through as someone who could play as a centre back or a defensive midfielder, but then when he played, he scored so many goals and uh, okay, they some were penalties, but he was always involved in attacks. And if anything, his flaw was that he didn't defend quite enough. But it's it's really nice to see him finding a role in a team that's functioning well and. I'm very, very happy for big Frank. Kev, AC Milan haven't lost in 24 matches. 24 matches. And they are the only team in Europe's top five leagues that haven't lost a single match since lockdown. That's a remarkable run of form.
4: Yeah, it's, it's bizarre because I almost think of sides being more erratic. Well, not necessarily erratic, but just you're more open to a a freak result because you've not, you know, got the fans on your side to sort of drag you drag you through a game or push you on to an unlikely victory. Um, and, and yeah, and, and there's no there's nothing you can really sort of say to to justify or to explain away why they're doing it. Um, I suppose the only thing. Um, speaking to to someone close to to me about uh, Everton being the first, the last English side with an unbeaten record, and it was that they they play almost with fans that get on their back so much they probably mm. benefit from not having them there, and their their form has certainly turned around during the lockdown. And I just wonder with the with the even greater expectations on Milan whether fans inside the San Siro can jump on their back a little bit too much and particularly when you've got a side that have been trying to knit these players together in the last sort of year to 18 months with all the new arrivals they've had, maybe not having fans in the stadium has been to their well, it clearly has been to their benefit
3: Yeah, that is absolutely the case, I remember being at a game there Do you know what, I think it was actually the Sampdoria game, which was Ibra's return he came off the bench and it was either Chalonoglu or Suzo. I can't remember which, but in January they were the same. They took the same treatment from the fans and one of them had one shot that went wayward and immediately the, the curva ran to the front and they were just ridiculing them. And I don't think it's any surprise that Chalonoglu is now probably enjoying the best form of his Milan career when there are no fans there, but... Um, I'm not trying to take anything away from them, Kev. I'll stick, to you, stick with you for this one. But is there an argument to be made that Milan are benefiting this season at least from the fact that they had a couple of games under their belt in the Europa League before everyone else got up and running in Serie A?
4: Maybe, um, but I'd, I'd probably put it more down to just they've they've gotten used to this situation before others, because I think the longer and longer, and it looks like it's going to be longer and longer, we play without fans, you know, under sort of restrictions, that we will start seeing it become, I was going to terribly, I was going to use the new normal phrase, but that you'll you'll see us get back to Juve winning the majority of their games and, you know, with ease, um, you, you'd see a kind of a levelling off.
3: OK, sorry, I thought you were going to continue speaking there. On the other side of the city, well, in their home city, I should say, Inter drew 2-2 with Parma. And they needed a late, late goal to even get a point there. Vito, this is, I I don't think it's too harsh to say, a dreadful result for Scudetto hopefuls.
1: Uh, look, I have to agree with that assessment. Especially when you have been uh, saying to us that Parma have been uh, in poor form and uh, you had written a piece about Parma under Liverani not playing in roles that suit them or other players are on the bench when they should be on the pitch, things like that. So it really seems like prior to the game that Inter should have got the win, but... Padma managed to play above themselves and uh, thanks to Gervinho, they were 2-0 up. So, uh, when you look at it that way, that is extremely embarrassing for Inter.
3: Gervinho. Gervinho, Gervinho, Gervinho. Uh, What a goal for the first one, Kev. Where has that been? When Gervinho scores a cracker, it's not technically brilliant it's just that he beats a load of people but that was genuinely so sub- sublime
4: yeah I think um I think we have to praise the pass over to him as well because I think I, I was I, this was probably one of the games where I only sort of half watched it and um I think it was at Hernani or
3: Hernani played the first
4: part ah, okay so it was so I did I did get my because I was kind of squinting at a little screen because I was watching something else on the other screen it was a beautifully weighted ball that completely dissected the defender. So then Javino, you kind of expected him to try and take a touch, then maybe round Handanovic and then probably hit it into the side, netting. But as you say, he just he took it beautifully on what is his weaker foot and and into the perfect, perfect place uh, in the goal. It's, I've certainly ringed it as one of my goals of the season.
3: I couldn't believe it. I really couldn't believe it to see that, and then, and then he scored again, and uh, this time it was another fine assist from Roberto Inglesa that played him through, it's great to see Bobby English back in the team by the way, but yeah, that, that was, there are signs of life from Parma, and I said last week about how they'd be concerned that they've got Inter, Fiorentina and Roma coming up, but I mean Fiorentina and bits, as Alistair McKenzie will, will explain to us a little bit later on, but Inter, Vito, what, what is what's happening? What are their problems? Why are they like this?
1: It's probably due to the mindset or the culture at the club, that sort of idea of uh Inter, they just have that tendency to self-destruct, so sometimes these odd results baffle logic. That being said, I think there is a logic to why Inter are so inconsistent. And it's due to the coach, Antonio Conte. He can have all the dummy spits in the world. He's been given the players that he wants, but he's not utilising the tools properly. Um, he keeps on complaining about the transfer market, that he's not backed enough and this and that. But he got the backing now. There's no excuse. And the more we see Inter get these bad results, he is digging himself into a hole. Uh, There is a quality squad there, but I think it's time to really make Conte the scapegoat. Um, Another coach would probably be doing better with this squad, but uh, Conte is a very stubborn man. Sure, he's had success in the past with Juventus and Chelsea, made Italy play above itself at Euro 2016, but... This time, the tools are there, but um, especially some of the players that have come in, like Vidal and Kolarov, uh, they're letting him down too. So um, he's done badly, but even who he's brought in, they've showed that they haven't really justified um, the whole sort of purpose of um, purchasing these plays in the first place.
3: Kev, they've not just started badly in in Zaryab, but... They've only won three of their six games. All, all right, they played Lazio and they played Milan in the derby. So you can kind of expect them to drop points there, maybe. But I, it just doesn't sit right with me. If, if Inter win every other game between now and the end of the season, that's 19 wins, right? That is sixth place form. It is not screwed out to hopeful form. And they've also started really badly in Europe. They've drawn their first two games and they've got to play Real Madrid. This week, who themselves have problems, but Inter, they're they're a bit of a mess.
4: Yeah, Vito touched on the signings, and um, because I was I was kind of sort of contemplating what was going wrong, and I was watching the uh, must have been I uh, must have been Cretone Atalanta, and I think somebody mentioned in you know in the commentary about the short time, particularly if you take Spezia, you know, had to win the playoffs, and then the, the season was pretty much upon us because of the, the the short change. Now, a lot of clubs were forced to almost stick with what they've got with regards to squad. And Inter have, you know, had, not let's not call it a spending spree, but had so many in and outs, and and so long trying to offload people, like getting Angelan out the door. And I just wonder, Conte usually drills his sides to play a particular way and a particular formation and usually a very rigid sort of seven to eight players in the first 11 and I just wonder if trying to do too much during the the short break that we had uh, has left him sort of struggling because you would have thought the way they finished last year and you know and getting to the Europa League they could have probably done with just having 12 months even with some of those players that um, you know, didn't set the set the world alight, but not offloading them, say the Can drivers to Sampdoria, mm. and just making two one or two additions.
3: Kolarov played in a back three again. Vito Perisic is now a striker, apparently, having been playing as a wing back. Is Conte just kind of throwing? <laughs> He's just throwing shit at the wall to see what sticks at this point.
1: It does look that way because. Uh... Some of his choices, they're just um, nonsensical in a way. It is a case of hit and hope with him because especially when you look at the whole Kolarov as a centre-back thing, Fonseca had tried that towards the end of last season at Roma and that didn't work there. So I really don't understand why Conte is persisting with it at Inter. Kolarov throughout his career has made a name out of being a great offensive threat from left back and having that incredible dead ball ability trying to make him into a more defensive type player although he plays as a defender in terms of position um, I don't think he's really going to work and as far as I'm concerned if you really got to play Kolarov, play him as a left wing back so he can produce some sort of attacking threat and then if you manage to get a teammate fouled or I mean teammate of yours gets fouled um, let the take the free kick and that's it for that left centre back role in that defensive trio that should be Alessandro Bastoni's as far as I'm concerned The spot, his uh, young age he showed that he's confident in that role he's uh, competent defensively and when he's on the ball I think he's superb um, he's very ca- calm very measured tidy and he knows how to make the right passes so I um, I'm not just saying play Bastoni for the sake of helping him develop better as a player. I think form-wise and for this team, bastani has got a start. Kolarov was a bad purchase from the start. And uh, you're just acquiring a player for the sake of having experience. But as far as I'm concerned, he's looking like a contender for one of Inter's worst signings of all time. And they've had their share. Kev,
3: okay, Kolarov and Warnocki are playing, why on earth did they let Diego Godin go?
4: Well, he, he he didn't. There was clearly something wrong last year because he wasn't he wasn't getting the minutes on the pitch. And as Vito said, Bastoni probably sort of took took that role. Um, but again, it does it does oh. go back to the why why bring Collorov in if you've got go in there? You know, just for the sake of changing a changing a face, um, because you've still got to integrate that that new player and try and shuffle your pack a little bit more and that's, that that's all it looks to me on paper that, that inter have done they've just shuffled somebody in for somebody else out you know you've got rid of nangland but you've brought in Vidal. it's i know you know i know there are there are there are little nuances between the players uh, you know their qualities and which position you put them in but they just seem to seem to be shuffling this sort of deck of cards and not sort of settling on what they want to what which hand they want to play with
3: there was a moment in the second half where nangland come on and did something I think he took a shot, and it, the, the camera just panned immediately to Conte, and I just thought, ah, oh, we're not going to see him in an Inter shirt again. He's, he's just going to be back on the bench until Christmas, and then he'll leave in January and probably do well somewhere else. But I just don't understand. Obviously, there were issues with Godin, but if it gets to the point where you're begging Andrea Ranocchia, which Conte did, he begged Andrea Ranocchia to stay on deadline day, you've got problems, and you're playing Alexander Kolarov out of position there.
4: But but this is the thing, It's like last season, you know, Icardi, Nangelin, he castracised ca- them wherever wherever cost- ostracised them wherever it was um from the side until they got rid of them. Where he's he' kinda of done that again this side, but this time, but now it starts starts to use use Nangolin again and it's like well does he really you know that makes must make you think must but certainly make the fans think that, that Conti doesn't know what he wants to do. And maybe the players feel the same as well when they see somebody coming in that's been kind of left on the fringes for you know the, the pre-season, etc.
3: It's a beautiful, a beautiful irony to it, though, that Conte came in at Inter and demanded that they no longer play Pazza Inter Amala at the San si- at the Giuseppe Meazza because it, it's no longer crazy Inter. We are Inter who win things and he has made them arguably crazier than they were under Spalletti under Mancini, under even the board. It's it's Pazza Conte now, Pazzo Conte, I guess. But uh, another team, we spoke about Milan being unbeaten this season. Another team who are unbeaten in Serie A this season are second placed Sassuolo. Yes, you heard me right. Second placed Sassuolo. They're unbeaten and they are soaring. Napoli couldn't handle them. Kev, no, Vito, I don't know what to do. And this was a Sassuolo without Tito Caputo and without Domenico Varadhi. They're going to win the, the Scudetto. It's happening.
1: Oh, look, if that if that underdog story actually became a reality, oh, well, that would be so fantastic. Uh, uh, usually with underdogs winning things, you associate them with fighting spirit and you know battling qualities. But... Uh, Sassuolo so a bunch of artists and uh, uh, if that happened I think it would be an amazing achievement and it would be an example for many other small Serie a clubs to follow and Italian clubs uh, in general throughout the whole system so that would be amazing. Um, focusing basically on this result I think to win in Naples is something incredible for the Nero Verdi and to do it without the two best players I think that should give the squad a lot of confidence that they can win under different circumstances and also for De Zerbi that he doesn't have to depend on his two talisman. Um, if he can find other options and be able to obtain results uh, you know, with other players, I think uh, De Zerbi can uh, be proud of what he's achieved so far because uh, we've praised... for the way they entertain and the ability to make comebacks, things like that. But uh, when you go away to Naples and get a win on the road there, um, it's not easy. Uh, Napoli have looked like a stronger squad uh, than they have been in the last year or two. And uh, yeah, it's uh, exciting to see what can go on from here because uh, they are one for the neutrals to watch.
3: Kev, I'm just going to present a tweet to you here. Patrick Kendrick, best Serie A commentator in English out there, in my opinion, and all round good guy, tweeted that it was an outrageously good display from Sassuolo. They were without 11 goals in the shape of Berardi, Caputo, and Juricic, but they were still flawless. They stayed true to their principles and picked their moment to strike. The Zerbe is destined for great things.
4: Uh, yeah I, I, I'd agree with most of that I really don't want to bring us round to penalty decisions but I don't know if the phrase chose their moment to strike is correct because that that was a laughable decision on the on, on the penalty um, yeah, it, was a, it was such a minuscule touch as the uh, as the player attempted. He, he attempted to poke the ball away. The defender and the, the 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 attacker came across him and just got there first. And then foul with his second step. And I think that's what that's what annoyed me most about it was foul with the second step. Obviously, they did get a second goal, which was deserved. Um, or even though they were lucky because Mertens missed from from a couple of yards out. But um, yeah, maybe we shouldn't dwell too much on the penalties because there's there's thirty two more weeks when we will no doubt. <laughs> dwell on more penalty decisions.
3: Yeah, we had big referee chat recently, I think, so that's not... But that Maxime Lopez goal, my God, what a goal that was. He, he left Napoli for dead, and Napoli will say that they should have had a penalty at the other end, but we'll talk about them in a moment. That goal, Vito, was stuff of dreams. Oh,
1: well, it's incredible because, uh, you know, Lopez, he's another one of the new acquisitions, and uh, although he had a bit of space to receive the ball... Uh, the Napoli players were still coming back, and to move from the left flank, and then uh, cut in more centrally, and then to coolly put the ball away, okay, Um Ospina did give it a bit of a deflection, but I think Lopez did a lot of the hard work uh, prior to that, and uh, um, he deserves applaudits for his persistence, and also to keep calm in that situation, so it was very well taken, and Yeah, very pleasing to watch on the ice, so uh, good on him for that.
2: And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST.
3: I said we were going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about it. We're not talking about referees. (laughs) They can do one. But that, another great moment from Cesaro was Costas Manolas had a header. Down into the and Con, Andrea Concieli, my my lord, turning that up off the crossbar, and then I, I can't remember who tapped in the rebound, but it was offside. That save was glorious. We're not going to talk about it. We're going to move on. Kev, Torino beat Lazio three two at the Stadio Olimpico Grande Torino because it was three two in the ninetieth minute. So that's how it finished. Because that's how all Serie A games finish, right, Kev?
4: Yeah, I, I I thought you that might might have brought that up when you were talking about Sassuolo being unbeaten because it was it was them that I had losing to Bologna, <laughs> three two the other week actually. Um, yeah, I, I was, of
3: course Lazio, Lazio won four or three for anyone listening. They scored in the I believe the ninety fifth and the ninety eighth minute. Uh, just phenomenal again. And Kev, this is something that he did time and again last season. And even with a depleted squad, looks like they might do it again this year.
4: Yeah, they they looked much more unlikely to do it this year with the struggles that they've had at the start of this um, campaign and and a little bit um, after lockdown when they kind of um, fell away in the in the title race. But yeah, great fun. Um, I'm trying to remember now the penalty decision that allowed them to eat.
3: Stop talking about decisions.
4: Okay, no penalty decision. Um, <laughs> But yeah, with, with who they've had out, it did, it did show some of that old Lazio spirit, I think. You know, just the way that the, when they had equalised through the penalty, uh was straight there for the ball. And when you see that sort of reaction from all of the players to sort of get back behind the, the kickoff, you kind of... It's, it's when, when there are fans in a stadium, and if you're, if you're there in person, you kind of feel that goal coming. And um, I think it's credit to them that they can do that without a crowd sort of pushing them on. I know they were away um, today, but um, you don't really get that anymore. That you you get that sense of a, a sec- another goal, another equalizer, or a late winner is gonna, gonna come.
3: The the players that got the goals in stoppage time were Chiro Mobile and Felipe Casado. They both started the game on the bench, but. You look at the the score sheet: seven goals in in the game, seven different goal scorers, which means, of course, that Lazio's four goals were scored by four different people. And Vito, when you are needing to manage a squad in the way that Simone and Zaghi is having to this season, it's vitally important that you do share the goals around like that.
1: Oh yeah, I agree. Uh, Lazio have had that uh, thing about uh, depending on goals from talisman, if you like. So. Uh, Chiro Immobile, as we've witnessed over the last few years, he's been scoring goals for fun. Um, in a game like this, when you have other outlets, I think it just eases uh, pressure on those uh, key players. And uh, when you have that spread, it just makes things a lot easier. It also makes it harder for the opponent to track who's going to be in the scoring positions and all that. And uh, uh, for other players, players to chip in here and there I think it's great because it adds something special to the game as well if uh, you can perform your regular role and then you add goal scoring to that even though you're not a known goal scorer um, it's a great confidence booster and uh, of course uh, you add uh, extra quality or extra benefit to the side
3: Lazio's rivals across the city. Roma beat Fiorentina 2-0. We had Alistair McKenzie there at the game. So I'm going to talk to Alistair now. As everyone, there's a big game in the capital city. We had Alistair McKenzie there to take in Roma Fiorentina for ForzaItalianFootball.com. Alistair, I'll start with quite a general question for you. Um, how was it?
0: I mean, it was okay. I think that uh, I expected better kind of coming into this match tonight, I thought it had the potential to be a really interesting contest between two of the more talented squads in Serie A at least. Mm. And because of that, I'm actually quite disappointed by how it went. Really easy for Roma in the end. I mean, to their credit, you know, they played well, they created a lot of chances. They took two of them, so they kept a clean sheet. So they, they did their job very professionally. But Fiorentina just made it so easy for them this evening. Their lack of a tactical plan left me completely baffled because Iaquini set up with Callahan and Cerebri two wingers up front didn't work. They were so small that they couldn't get any sort of impact in the game around Roma's giant back three of Ibanez, Smalling and Mancini. And then when uh, in the second half, they needed a goal. He just kind of completely abandoned that idea and started throwing on strikers one at a time. Vlaovic, then Kouame, and then finally Kotrone ended up with three strikers in a line up front and kind of throwing balls towards them aimlessly. And I, I'd have to say, I just don't think he's got that many excuses left, Iakini, for Fiorentine having performances like this because he's been in the job coming on for a year now, so he's had enough time. There's been investment in the squad where they've spent a lot of money in the summer to improve it. They've also had players like Biragi, for example, coming back, or players like Amrabat, who they had deals for in January, coming through. This is a good team. Um, And it's a team that's capable of doing a lot better than it's doing right now. I don't think their fans will be demanding Champions League football immediately, but they'll be demanding a lot better than this. Um, so yeah, they've only got one win in their last five league games now and I do wonder if he's going to get his Panettone after all because it it was really, really unimpressive tonight.
3: Pedro was on the score sheet again. We've discussed him a little bit on the pod this season basically because I quite like him and I'm very happy to see him in Serie A. How, what have you made of his start to life in the capital?
0: Yeah, I've been really impressed with Pedro's start to life at Roma. I think he's come in and... Um, you know, started really well, settled into the team very quickly. I'd extend that, though, to that whole front three. I mean, Fonseca's really found a good balance now with that attack with Jekyll and Mkhitaryan and Pedro up there and launching them on the counter-attack where they're so dangerous in the way that they link up together. They've built up a real understanding as a trio um, very quickly. I think Pedro's on three goals already for this season.
5: Mm.
0: I'm always so impressed with Mkhitaryan when I watch him. I don't think he gets maybe as much credit as he deserves for how important he is to, to this Roma team and how good a signing he's been for them to, to be able to get him permanently. The one concern I would have for Roma, and I wrote a piece about this after the Europa League game last week, is that um, they don't have much quality and depth. And Fonseca acknowledged after the game tonight that given the age of these, these three players, all in their 30s, who are leading the attack, they are going to need time to rest during the season. Um, and their backup options aren't too strong. Borja Mayoral really struggled in the few games he's had so far. Callas Perez is far too inconsistent still. Um, and there are several other players like that. So I think the strength and depth in those positions is an issue for Roma. But so far, the performances of the, the starting three have been excellent.
3: Thank you, Alistair. Speak to you again soon. And we're going to talk about Crotoni Atalanta because Atalanta came off the back of two consecutive Serie A losses, Kev. They needed to just win and not worry about how it came about. They got the two goals through Luis Muriel. And, I mean, he's the best backup striker in Italy. Possibly Europe.
4: He is, yeah. At the start of the game, because I was making notes as I was uh, watching it, I did put Wasteful to start with. And then, as is always the case, seconds later, he nets his <laughs> he nets his first. <laughs> I, think, I think, to be honest, I wrote Wasteful after he probably... Should have done better with only two strikes. But then that's the, like you say, he's the he's the best backup striker in Serie A. So I'd probably expect him more more of him when he gets a chance in those sort of positions. Um, you'll know better than me, Connor, whether they were resting Zapata and Ilicic maybe for Champions League in the week. Um, yes. But you kind of expected it against Crotone, but maybe not because of the back-to-back defeats that they'd suffered uh, in the league, so I was kind of a little bit surprised with that, but they they got themselves just over the line um, and as you say, Muriel being there allows them to do that
3: it doesn't actually lessen the quality though, right? I mean obviously Iich not playing does, but duvan out for muriel they're they're both probably as good as each other, but just that very different things. Duvan's probably a more rounded player, but Muriel i mean he doesn't he doesn't start matches but he scores a ridiculous number of goals. Last season, I think he was the he scored more goals as a substitute than anyone else. And he's just a phenomenon from a backup role. And he just seems perfectly happy to play it as well, which is rare that you see it. Um, Be a bit worried for Atalanta midweek though. They do seem to have nobody fully fit defensively. Um, whether or not the players will return in time. Robin Gosens in particular is... Someone that they'll be quite concerned about. And Hans Athabora, I don't think, is 100% either. So Liverpool coming to Bergamo with Atalanta not having any of their best defenders is something that will keep the Bergamaschi awake for the next few nights. But it's going to be a lot of fun if you don't support either team. Um, I'm dreading the match, to be perfectly honest with you. Onto the next one. Juventus beat Spezia. I almost said Juventus went to Spezia, but of course they didn't. Juventus beat Spezia away from home, and Cristiano Ronaldo's back, Vito. um, Yay.
1: Yeah, he's back, so I'm sure his supporter base, they're going to be jumping for joy, and I think uh, Juventus supporters, regardless if they supported. You'll be before he came or not, they'll just be happy just to win, especially with the form they've been going through. Um, well, with Ronaldo, I thought, you know, I was surprised that he actually chipped the penalty for for his second of the game. Usually he just blasts it with power, so that was, uh, that was interesting. Um, other than that, uh, Morata finally getting a goal that stands. I think he'd be one of the most relieved players at the Bianconeri at the moment. Uh, he had a few goals disallowed in previous Serie A games. Then three against Barcelona in the Champions League, Champions League midweek. So I think uh, he was long overdue for a goal that actually stood.
3: <laughs> Did you see his face? Because obviously, the flag went up when Quadrado played it across to him and he tapped it in. The flag went up, and Morata's little face. I felt so sorry for him. He's just like you know. You, no, you, you can't. You can't do it to me. Did you not see me last week? You can't do this again. But then, obviously, it was over and the goal stood, and I was quite pleased for him. But is someone that always starts well wherever he goes, Kev, isn't he? And then it usually fades. Or is this time different, like he said it was at Chelsea and Atletico Madrid?
4: Well, I, I was quite positive about Maratta going back to Juve because I don't I don't know... I don't. I don't recall myself that it. It sort of faded out at Juve. It was more that, didn't Madrid have a buyback? So, I, I kind of felt that maybe this was where he always should have been anyway. So I was it's quite about confident. five
3: years ago now, though, isn't
4: it? It is a long time ago, but you know, it clearly didn't work out elsewhere, and he, he kind of got labelled a failure almost everywhere else he went. whereas I didn't really think that was the case in uh, at Juve. So I was quietly confident he'd, he'd do quite well. Um, obviously, this time he's going to be in the shadow of Ronaldo for however long he's going to stick around, which I actually thought would be an issue for him. But on the whole disallowed goals, I just think it would be hilarious if every goal he scores now for the rest of the season goes to VAR review, <laughs> even, if, even if it shouldn't.
3: Yeah, um, I have to take exception to people. I I do. I should say I do really like Alvaro Morata. He's one of my favourite players when he's on it. Um, and I think he's probably the best first-time finisher in Europe, to be honest. All of his goals are just dispatched when he doesn't have any time to think about it. But it's when he's put through one-on-one that I have a few doubts about him. But I have to take exception to this whole thing during the week of people making it Alvaro Morata. I'm not having it. Because two of the goals were ruled out by the on-field officials. And VAR just confirmed it. Only one of the goals was given by the on-field official. So, an example of people lazily saying that VAR is doing things that it's not. The referees did it on the pitch, guys. Watch the matches. Um, anyway. That does mean you game. have to watch Juve. What? That
4: does mean you have to watch Juve. That's the only yeah, problem. Yeah,
3: true. I take it back. Don't watch the ma- Watch the other matches. <laughs> but watch the highlights before you comment on VAR things. Uh, Bologna beat Calgary 3 to Musabarro got a double and João Pedro scored again taking him clear in in second place of Cagliari's all-time top scorers Vito, Muzabaro, double and a lovely
1: double too um, not only were they just uh, uh, goals that they were needed for the Felsenay but uh, they were done in a spectacular style too so yeah really quality goals that can be contenders for goal of the week are they goal of the season contenders? Possibly. At least you'd think top 20, top 20, uh, 10 or top 20. But uh, yeah, delightful strikes. And uh, hopefully for the Felsenay it continues because they had only one one game uh, prior to this game. And um, if we switch to the other side, the team they played against, uh, Joel Pedro. Um, I think it's an incredible achievement for him. And yeah. Uh, when you consider that uh, Cagliari are more or less one of the many selling clubs, you don't see many of the strikers staying very long. I think it's uh, incredible that he stayed this long and done so well. Only the great uh, Gigi Riva has scored uh, so many goals. And, uh, well, when Gigi Riva was there, that was when they won the Solitary Scudetto. So, um, you know, can't really compare João Pedro to Gigi Riva, but... Uh, I think Gio Pedro has uh, created his own legacy in Sardinia. So I think he deserves plaudits for what he has achieved with the East Solani so far.
3: Yeah, Ben Hughes is obviously our resident um, in, in Sardinia. He's spoken. I think he wrote about Joao Pedro in his, in his piece last week about Cagliari. And we were chatting before he wrote that and he was just saying that the guy's an absolute legend there. They adore him on the island they really have taken to them as one of their own which is nice to see um i should say i did promise you all a a second podcast last week um had some issues so that didn't get out last week but i promise you again um and i doubly promise it will be out this week because i'm gonna edit it on monday so it'll be out just after the champions league game so stick around for that it's an extra one specifically about juve um Herbie Sykes wrote a book about Juve and their 100 years and yeah, everything about that. It's quite good. Give it a look and we will be running a competition to give away a copy of the book as well. So thank you to Herbie for that. Guys, do you know what time it is?
4: Yes. Bedtime?
3: Yes. (laughs) Kev sitting forward in his seat. It's the most seriously he's ever looked when it has come to the game. Why don't we have a name for this yet?
4: Because uh, you couldn't broadcast the name I'd find for
3: it. The game that nobody likes that we just keep doing, and I don't really know why, even though it's my decision. But yeah, um, mystery, sorry, our player, the guys ask yes, no answer questions. If the answer is yes, they continue to ask questions. If it's no, the other person goes until they define, until they discover the identity of the player. The current scores are... Vito Doria has two points. Kev Puglielski has two points. And I, inexplicably, due to a, a dreadful week from the participants, I have one point. Um, I'm hoping I don't get any more between now and the end of the season. But, Vito, I believe you were the winner last week. Am I right? Okay, well, that means you go first. Um, just want to specify again, because it comes up every week, if we're asking... Where does the player play? There's the north of Italy, there's the south of Italy, and there's Rome as a separate entity. So, there you go. You can ask, do they play in the north? You can ask, do they play in the south? Or you can ask, do they play in Rome? And that's what we're sticking with. Vito, you can start. Okay, is this player a foreigner? The player is not a foreigner.
4: Do they play in the north of Italy?
3: They don't play in the north of Italy. Okay, um, not the north of Italy.
1: Does this player play for Napoli?
3: The player does not play for Napoli.
4: Do they play in Rome?
3: No, they don't play in Rome. Okay, I'm
4: getting the geography bits out of the way.
3: I think this is quite an easy one, you know but we'll continue.
1: Okay. um, Right, is this a Cagliari player?
3: It's not a Cagliari player, and I forgot to set a timer again, so I'm going to set a timer now for 90 seconds. If you've not got it in 90 seconds, I'm taking the points again. Kev, it's over to you.
4: Okay, so do they play for uh, uh, Crotone?
3: They don't play for Crotone. This is, there hasn't been a yes answer yet.
4: Yeah. and you've
1: and you said this is a player that's a, from a club that's not in the north of Italy.
3: What I've said is it's they're a club. They're not in the north. They're not from Rome. The player is not foreign, and they don't play for Napoli or Cortone or Cagliari. So there's one team left. Yeah, is it? it a Benevento player? It is a Benevento player. You've got fifty. Okay, uh, is it a forward? He is a forward. Come He's on,
1: Roberto Insigne.
3: Thank the Lord, the player is Roberto Insigne. Yes,
4: I,
1: I, I
3: kind of
4: thought player. that after I guessed that last week incorrectly. After we knew that the player was foreign,
3: did you say Roberto? I don't remember that. Oh, oh yes. yeah, because
4: that's when I was oh, like, yes. oh. I was so drawn by the whole Insigne brothers thing that I just blurted out Roberto Insigne and you went, no, he's not, he's not Italian. <laughs> and, I was like, and then it turned out to be my fellow countryman, Camel Glick.
3: Yeah, it did turn out to be your fellow countryman, Camel Glick. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I might've gone too soon with Insigne because we did only just speak about him last week, but I, I wanted to sneak him in there. Um, it's close though. Um. Oh, gonna I was going to go for either him or mm, That wouldn't have been a good shout. It would have been the wrong shout, but it would have been a nice mention for his name. Kev, I was fully expecting you, even after me establishing that the player was not foreign, for you to go with. Is it Bruno Alba? <laughs> <Robert? laughs>
4: no. V- v- Vito has two choices every week that he goes before me. Uh, is asking a question that instantly rules out Bruno Alves. Otherwise, that will be my first question. (laughs)
3: Um, Well, I think Vito should deliberately try to avoid that then. So then you waste a question and it comes back to him. But congratulations, Vito, for the first time this season, I believe you've taken the lead. Yes. I think Kev, which is... I mean, Kev, I'm sorry. You're probably not going to get back in front now.
4: This is now 32 (laughs) weeks of playing catch-up.
3: It's now me against you for second place, isn't it?
4: <laughs> oh, you, oh right, you, right. you you! can have it if you want it.
3: <laughs> I really don't. I really don't. Anyway, that brings us to the end of the podcast for this week. It's been an absolute pleasure, Kev. Thank you for enduring another week of this whilst battling COVID. And thank you for not coughing into the microphone. Oh, oh, just as I said that. <laughs> you you caught it well done
4: yeah i'll try my best
3: <laughs> lovely uh Vito, Toria, thank you very much Adam. welcome
1: connor or oh, should we call you chicho man. from now on
3: thank you. uh no back to connor i'm gonna change it back um back oh do you know what i've just noticed i've not been recording this whole skype call
4: i no, won I, I wondered that, that, and that, and then I thought, no, this is the new formula he's asked us to record on,
3: yeah, but I was gonna fucking and do the Skype call as well, so uh listeners, we might speak to you if not, <laughs> you'll never know goodbye Good
4: <laughs> ciao ciao,
3: everyone, oh my God. <laughs>
5: Abbastanza, vi dimostreremo chi è che comanda. Con noi qui davanti non passa nessuno, noi siamo il Sassuolo.